0: This is Ryan Martin, the host of Psychology and Stuff. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably because you like psychology. And if you like psychology, you will love All the Rage, the podcast on anger and violence out of Phoenix Studios. On All the Rage, my co-host Chuck Ryback and I talk about everything from Internet trolls to toxic masculinity to road rage. We bring you mad science, anger management tips, and tons of stories about people losing their cool. You can learn more about All the Rage and other Phoenix Studios podcasts at uwgb.edu forward slash podcast. All right, and welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast of the University of Wisconsin Green Bay Psychology Program. I'm Ryan Martin, chair of the psychology program and host of Psychology and Stuff. And today we have some guests from the local community here in Green Bay. Uh, Golden House offers a support program and shelter for victims of domestic violence. They offer counseling, temporary shelter, legal assistance, a helpline, support groups, and more. Uh, And today we have two, uh, our two guests are from there. We have Karen Michaels, who's the executive director. How are you, Karen?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. And we have Holly Fisher, the program manager at Golden House. How are you, Holly?
2: I'm doing well.
0: Okay, sounds good. I want to start out, um, I gave the briefest of intros to Golden House, so maybe you could tell me a little bit about Golden House.
1: Sure. Um, Golden House is a local um, comprehensive domestic violence program. Um, We've been in the community since 1979, in our current facility since 1993. At our facility, we do all things that victims and their families may need um, when they have found themselves in a situation uh, with violence in their home um, or with an intimate partner. Um, we provide advocacy services, which really is support and intervention when there's been violence, um, which can look very, very different for each individual victim. Um, and we also pr- can provide um shelter services. So if they are find themselves homeless due to domestic violence or just simply needing some space from the violence that's happening in their homes, we are there to be able to provide temporary emergency shelter.
0: Okay. Yeah, you use the word comprehensive when you describe the mm-hmm. service. Tell me what that word means in terms of, is it... Uh Is it all the things you just talked about that we try and advocate in lots of
1: ways for clients? Sure. So when you did the introduction, you talked about a lot of our different services. Mm -hmm. Um, We try not to talk too much about the list of services that we offer because each person comes to us, each victim comes to us with a very different story and a very different need, Mm -hmm. um, a set of needs. And so we have a basic list of services. We can provide um, legal advocacy. We can accompany people to court. We can help with restrictions. Orders. Uh, we can help with accessing community resources, um, connecting people with law enforcement if so needed, um, housing services. We have this very long, long list, but really what the question is when anybody walks in through our door or gives us a call on the crisis line is really what's happening right now mm-hmm. and what can we do to help mm-hmm. you in this situation right now and then in the future. Um, and so everybody's care plan or everybody's advocacy plan looks completely different from the person next to them.
0: Okay. So how is it that people um, find Golden House then as far as what, and and to answer this question, there probably isn't a single path and I know that, Mm -hmm. but what are some of the different routes on which people uh, find you?
2: Um, They definitely find us through a variety of ways. Mm Sometimes it's through law enforcement. Um, Law enforcement notifies us every time there's a domestic violence incident and then we make contact with every victim after that. Um, Other times it can be different community agencies like Child Protective Services. Um, We've seen seen an increase in hospitals and medical professionals reaching out to us. Um, Also, through friends and family, people who have been previous clients of ours will um, tend to notify people who they care about when, you know, there's domestic violence in their life. Um, Those are the majority of ways. Also, I would say our prevention efforts. um, That's how I found out about Golden House. Eighth grade, when I was in eighth grade, someone came to my school and talked about us. And so then I end up volunteering at Golden House and then ultimately gaining employment there. So I would say um, a lot of people mention our prevention in the schools as the way they come into contact with Golden House. Okay.
0: So I'm curious because I've heard there's, I just want to clarify some language as we Mm -hmm. talk about this, because I've heard, obviously we've been using and I started using the term domestic violence. I also hear the term intimate partner violence used often. Are those two words, do they mean essentially the same thing or are there differences that are worth noting for people?
2: Um, They can be used interchangeably.
0: Okay, so Mm -hmm. they do mean the same thing. Okay, Um, interesting. So how did, you you kind of already answered this, Holly, but how did you find Golden House? How did you become involved in that? It sounds like you, through volunteering, and then, but Mm -hmm. I know you went back to school, or not back to school, but you went to school and got a master's degree, is that right?
2: Mm Mm-hmm, yeah, so as I said before, in eighth grade, Golden House, came and spoke to my school. And then when I was in college as an undergrad, I was home for the summer and was working in a factory job, which wasn't very fulfilling. So I'm like, Oh, I should do something else with my time. So then I reached out to golden house because I had heard of them, um, and ended up volunteering there during college. And then I got my master's degree in counseling at, at UW whitewater. And while I was there, I worked with the sexual assault, um, Survivor Advisory Committee, and so we partnered with the local DV domestic violence and sexual assault agencies. So I kind of um, dabbled in that a little bit and found that I really enjoyed the work. Um, so after I graduated and was in my adult professional life, um, I knew I wanted to get connected with Golden House again. So I actually went to their volunteer fair intending on volunteering. And then I found out there was a job opening, <laughs> so I applied for it and got it, wow. which was very exciting. They could have had you for free as a Yeah, volunteer exactly, but now they pay me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good things yeah. like
1: that don't come that free. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> We're really lucky to have Holly um, as our program manager. I came across um, Golden House. I've been doing nonprofit work in this community for 20 plus years, um, and I had. Um, of grown through a lot of different places The Golden House has always had a special place in my heart. Um, I have a a long personal and family history of violence in homes um, and and I really wanted to make a difference in our community when it came to supporting children and victims that are experiencing violence. And so I Patiently waited for the day that there was an opening to become the executive director and applied for it I've done a little bit of work that prepared me for that um, You know, I've I've done some fund development director work. I have did some quality management work for the Brown County Human Services um, I did some work in early childhood development um, In child care, so a lot of different career moves led me to Golden House um, It truly is I think one of the most special places that I've had the opportunity to work and really incredible advocates who care day after day and it's all coming together at just the right time we're doing a lot of work around the science of the developing brain and understanding trauma Mm -hmm. Um, and it really fits with our mission um, at Golden House to provide that safety and support we really pride ourselves um, on having staff that's well trained in trauma work um, really understanding how we can be supportive without being intrusive, um, how we can help clients understand that there's a different lifestyle than just power and control that they've become accustomed to in a domestic violence relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. Well and I can tell you too, so last year at this time I was teaching a course on um, on anger and violence and actually we came and took a tour of, of Golden House and had I think actually just that was life-changing for a lot of our students who Mm -hmm. really learned a lot about the work you all do, but learned a lot um, because Holly did a wonderful presentation for them on... um, Thank you. Yeah, it was great for uh, different aspects. It's so great that I may ask again. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Feel free to. (laughs) um, But on different aspects of domestic violence, so I, you know, there's special work all around and you don't have to look too hard to see that that's true. I want to. So I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to preface it by saying it's actually not a question that I like very much because I, I find it inherently kind of victim blaming, but I also know it's a question that 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 people want to hear the answer to, and that is, you know, and it's one of the things Holly we talked about when when we did that tour, and it's, you know, the, the answer to the que- or the answer to the question why don't victims leave. Mm-hmm. Can you spend a little time talking about that for people?
2: Definitely, because that's something, you know, we still continue to hear Mm -hmm. quite frequently. Um, And so my best answer is that there's a variety of reasons. Just as Karen said, when victims come in, they have their whole different array of needs and they have their different reasons for staying. Some of the most common ones are obviously financial they might ha- not have their own economic resources to leave. Um, they might not have the natural supports to rely on when they want to leave. Um, another one is children. If they have children with this person, um, they don't want to split up the family or they're afraid of the kids being taken away. Um, you know, because once you start getting into those child custody issues, it, be- it can become very tricky. And again, if you don't have the financial resources to have a lawyer, you're at even more of a disadvantage. Um, another reason would be love you know they have de- they have um, developed this life together with this person and you know they still love the person they just want the abuse to stop um, sometimes it can be guilt thinking that what's happening in the relationship is their fault because that's what the abuser has conditioned them to believe um, fear um, not knowing what's gonna happen we know that most um, violence and domestic violence homicides happen after the victim has already left. So just because the victim has left does not necessarily mean that the victim is safe, um, so yeah, there's definitely a whole list of reasons and it's very tricky to navigate your way out of that relationship. It's not just a simple decision that, yes, I'm going to leave. There's a lot that goes into it. A lot of planning that needs to go into it.
0: I suspect that like any any sort of change that people sort of move around within that sort of contemplation -contemplation Mm
2: pre-contemplation component
0: you know that there are times when they think yes i'm i'm ready to leave i need Mm -hmm. to start putting some plans in place and then they go back the same way any kind of change Mm -hmm. happens i think the one that really still stands out to many of my students was love the idea that how could you love someone who's you know beating you up and mm-hmm. um, and that was one of the things that students really took from that is like thinking about that in a different light in mm-hmm. a different way. Let's can we look at it, the, the other side of this and that is kind of you know we've asked why why don't victims leave why do abusers abuse um, do we have a sense for why perpetrators of domestic violence do that.
1: Well, there's a lot of different theories about why, and as many as there are for victims' needs and and why they stay there, are a lot of different um, theories as to why an abuser is abusive. Um, Some of that stems from the experiences that they had as a child. Um, What we know about abusive um, partners is that oftentimes they lived in homes where there was abuse. Um, And they not only have, you know, behaviorally picked up on those cues and learned that behavior from the people that they were around, but it also what we understand about trauma and what happened with young children when they experienced violence in their homes. we know that that changes their behavior patterns based on the changes in their brain chemistry. So we um, have really been operating off of a learned behavior model for a very, very long time, but I think a lot of the new research and the discussion around trauma and brain development has really changed some of the way that we're looking at that. We also know that our society... um, has and and this is no news to anybody right now right but we know that we live in a society or have for a very long time where um the the expectations of men um and and we don't like to say it because we serve any victim that comes to us male or female but most of uh, domestic violence is perpetrated by men against women. Um, we do know that we live in a society where it has been acceptable to treat women um, in a violent way or to have that power and control over women. And so men are really battling some societal Factors as well as trying to understand what is the right way to have a relationship, what is a healthy relationship, and so we need to do a better job in our communities when there are young men and explaining to people how we can change these types of behaviors. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Karen and Nate, you said before you've been not necessarily working in, in domestic violence for twenty years, but working in this area, mm-hmm. you know, these areas for quite some time. Have you seen a, a change or a shift in in culture during that time, or? Do things more or less seem the way they
1: were? Um, I think that things are being talked about more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have a very long way to go, right. um, but I do believe that um, we have continued to grow. I mean, I can remember back um, in the early 2000s when we are talking about brain development it was just coming out, it was just the kind of new thing to talk about, now it is. A mainstay in every class that we teach in every presentation that we do we talk about trauma Um, so I've seen some growth in that area I've also seen some growth in in communities being willing to talk about relationships more um, being able to talk about what being a bystander is and how to not be a bystander Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that we're starting to see different ways of educating our young men and our young women about relationships which is I think that's come a long way we still have a long way to go
0: right right I I I often wonder if when we see you know increases in reporting if that reflects just a greater willingness to talk about it if it reflects a greater more instances of uh, Mm the behavior and et cetera and I think sometimes we don't necessarily know but uh, I think we can all agree that yes we have a long way to go Mm -hmm. um so many of our students excuse me many of our listeners our students mm-hmm. um, many of them are interested in working in this area what can you tell them as far as educational experiences and things like that how to best how should they best prepare themselves for a career in, in this in this area
1: well I give this little piece at the beginning of the class I teach every semester is um, experience matters um, I get a lot of resumes. Every year I get a lot of applications for internships, and what I'm looking for is for people who have spent some time working in the human services field. Um, Everybody can take a class, right, Um, but it takes people who really understand some of the things that we deal with every day, and mainly those things are poverty. If, if you don't understand poverty, and you don't understand diversity, and you come into my building with just a human development degree, and you haven't gone out and done the extra work to be connected to the community, you are at a disadvantage compared to your, your peers who have done internships, who have volunteered, um, who have taken extra courses in understanding the community. Um, those folks have a leg up. So my advice to any student um, is the book is good, it's going to give you a lot of theoretical background, it's going to give you some knowledge, but you need some practical experience in the field that is what will get you in the door.
0: Okay. How about you, Holly, anything you would add to that as far as the experiences that you want to, or what you would encourage students to?
2: Um, I would definitely echo what Karen was saying, especially in regards to working with people in poverty, Um, because as far as our shelter residents go, those are the ones who are typically lacking economic resources. Um, So if you don't have a good understanding of that, especially generational poverty and some of the values associated with that, um, it's going to be hard for you to connect with them and understand them. Also, obviously having um, knowledge in the dynamics of domestic violence is essential as well.
1: Let's
0: talk a little bit about the poverty piece since it has come up. Mm-hmm. Tell us how that is relevant. And I, I understand many of your, uh, the, the people you work with are, are, come from poverty, but talk about a little bit about how that's relevant.
1: So we always say that you know domestic violence isn't an issue. It, it affects any class mm-hmm. um, of people. However, what we find is that most people with resources, economic resources, are able to access other services. They're able to get to their own counseling services, their own attorney services, and so we don't typically see a lot of um, victims that come from upper, um, middle, upper or middle class. Um, but we do see a lot of folks who come to us who have no resources whatsoever no financial resources and quite honestly there has been a generational poverty issue for them for years and years and cycles and cycles and so what we really are tasked with is helping them understand that there are other ways um, to to address this issue that's been happening and poverty when, when you're dealing with a family that is in poverty, they just don't necessarily understand that there are opportunities available to them. They haven't seen those opportunities, and they've learned to live in a certain way that doesn't take them down the road to get to those. So that's a different ex- expectation, a different experience for them when they come to our building. So it's also a culture, and I don't think we talk about that enough. Um, we need to really understand that my values um, as a middle-class white woman um, don't match necessarily with someone who has lived for generations um, in poverty. And so a lot of times we'll have students or new employees come to us without an understanding of the differences in those cultures, making judgment calls. Lots and lots of judgment calls of they should or they should um, do this or they should do that, and then all of a sudden we've got friction within the building between staff members and between clients and staff members and between clients. Um, and so we really, really want people to understand poverty before they come to work with us, um, either at Golden House or any of the other programs in their community, because when they, have, when they come with that clear understanding or they have come with that experience, they're going to better be able to connect with that family. They're gonna better be able to connect with them on a cultural basis, um, so that they can be better service to them. Um, And so that's what we're really looking for, is really understand the culture. I can tell you most of the staff breakdowns that we've had have been people who come with their own set of judgments, um, and most often those things happen because people don't have an understanding of the cultural differences um, that generational poverty brings to the table.
0: You know, as you talk about that, I was just thinking in general about, um, I think every field, not field, every area like this, especially if there's a lot of pop culture references to to what we're talking about in this case, domestic violence, there's a lot of myths that Mm -hmm. go along with it. And I was wondering if you could take this opportunity, if there's any myths that you want to sort of debunk for the public, things that... That,
1: yeah. Packer losses do not cause domestic violence. We, we just put that on the table. <laughs>
2: yes. let's, yeah. let's be clear. We get that time and time again. Let's, let's be
0: clear. You know, yeah. I actually wrote you, Holly, to ask that question yeah. because I've actually yeah. looked at the research on that, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. confirmed exactly what you said. Not mm-hmm. sorry, the national research, not mm-hmm. this, the mm-hmm. local research. Mm-hmm. But then I, but then I heard people say, but at the local level, right, because of the Packers, no, and so we oh, have yeah. that research. Yeah. So. It <laughs> really
1: isn't true. There's no data to confirm yeah. that domestic violence happens more because. of packer losses mm-hmm. um, but the other things I think that are really you know things that we like to talk about is alcohol um, is not a causal factor for domestic violence domestic violence is about power and control it is not necessarily simply one vi- one violent act it is mm-hmm. not one hit one slap one kick um, it is a long standing pattern of power and control in a relationship and so a lot of times people will put alcohol and domestic violence side by side, and say that alcohol is a causal factor, and and simply is not um, borne out in the research to say that, um, either locally or not. What we do see is we see alcohol involved in a lot of uh, domestic violence incidents, um, and and I think that we can you know go down that. That's a whole other podcast, I would imagine, about what alcohol does. Um, so those those are that's one other myth. Um, I think one other one that I. Um, that I like to talk about too, is, um, I just lost my train of thought. Um, but, oh, it's gone. I can go with it. Go, you go and then I'll come back
2: to it. (laughs) Um, uh, another myth we hear time and time again is, oh, well, if it's not physical, it's not domestic violence. And the thing we like to emphasize again, as Karen said, it's a pattern of power and control. So who is the person in the relationship who is allowed to have opinions? who is the person in the relationship that's allowed to make the decisions, who can speak freely and who can't. And as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times the physical violence or homicides have to happen after the victim has left. So if you're in that abusive relationship and you have control over your partner, you know, once that partner leaves, then you're going to need to escalate to try to get that control back. Then that's typically when we see it. So just because a relationship is not physically violent does not mean it's not an abusive relationship.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. And then that really ties into what I was trying to remember okay. is, that, is that, you know, a lot of times um, victims will come to us and say, well, you know, Little Johnny doesn't know this is happening. I shield them from this. They Mm -hmm. don't know that there's any violence in the home. They don't know about any of this, um, because I, I make sure it happens after they go to bed. Um, and what we do know is that children exposed to domestic violence, they do know, um, Mm -hmm. they hear, um, they see, and they feel the power and control in that house and it has devastating effects. On, on them right then and there, but then also what we know is it has long term effects on their behaviors and their relationships as they become adults. Mm-hmm. So, um, one thing that we like to try to make sure that all the victims that come to us know is that even if you think you are doing your very, very best to hide this violence from your children, it is quite likely that they know and it is quite likely that it will have an impact on them.
0: Okay, that is good to know. And, and I'm um, you got me thinking about are there there's so many different, as I mentioned, you know, popular cultural references to to domestic violence. Can you think of any that are are good? Like can you think of any that that are sort of positive examples that really shine a light on this in a meaningful way, or
1: um, we've had some really um, great campaigns happening um about Um, individuals who have been exposed to domestic violence um, stars and politicians and um, different pop culture people which I have very little knowledge of Um, but we've had some really good campaigns recently talking about that we have the no more campaign which is really about saying no more to domestic and sexual assault, Mm -hmm. um, domestic violence and sexual assault, but it's also about saying no more being a bystander and Mm -hmm. allowing this to happen. It is not family business. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a community's business. The impact of domestic violence on a community, it weighs into all of our different systems the same way that they all hear about us. Um, Mm -hmm. We know that law enforcement is spending A great deal of their time on domestic violence related incidents medical systems are impacted school systems are impacted health and uh, human service systems are impacted the legal system is impacted if you add up all of that system work and all the dollars that are being pumped into those systems if we can all say no more Mm -hmm. if people from all of those systems and people from all around the world can say no more domestic violence we're not going to accept this type of violence in homes, whether you think it's family business or not, then we can make an impact. We could spend those dollars in a whole lot of different ways preventing and teaching kids about healthy relationships, um, right away so that we don't have to spend all this money dealing with this issue.
2: Um, as far as in popular culture on HBO show, big little lies that was amazing. Um, You see Nicole Kidman's character is in an abusive relationship, but if you aren't familiar with domestic violence, you might not uh, see it right away, Um, but it kind of progresses through the series. First, you see the husband undermining her parental authority. Then you learn that she has given up her career. Um, And then you see some of the physical violence and you see that progress throughout the series. So I think that's a really good portrayal of what that can look like.
0: Interesting. That was one that I was wondering about in particular. Mm-hmm. I've read that book as well, and okay. and, um, and and the book actually is a little more kind of on the nose about what's going on, and it's. Uh, um, but I I was curious to know if that was something that was a good portrayal or not mm-hmm. from your perspective. I thought so. Good. Mm-hmm. Well, and when it made me think about it, the, the question about whether or not the kids know was mm-hmm. built very much into mm-hmm. that story about and um, and and as you, it, what happens in that story is very similar to how you described it, Karen. Mm-hmm. That, um, I have two more questions, and uh, one is, you've you've mentioned being a bystander a couple of times. I wonder if you could tell the listeners, what's a bystander, and how can you avoid being one?
1: <laughs> do you want to do that, or do you want me to? Act? So uh, the bystander phenomenon is basically that you may see the violence happening. You may hear the violence happening. You may have questions about the violence happening in a member of your family, someone at work, somebody... Um, on the street, anywhere, it could really be anywhere, and you turn your head because that's not really my business, that's somebody else's business. I shouldn't get involved. If I get involved, I might get hurt. So any number of reasons why somebody may just turn their head and not recognize that the victim may need their assistance or their help in that situation. Um, And we see it happen a lot in our communities. Um, a lot of the times the reasoning is, um, is really tied to the societal norm of, that's family business. That's between a husband and a wife. That's not how I would have a relationship, but maybe it's okay for them, and then maybe that's how they've worked it out to, to be. Um, we need to be really cautious about that because um, oftentimes it can be really uncomfortable Um, to say something to a family. It could actually be dangerous, so we, we try to help people understand how is the best way to be able to come forward. We're doing a lot of work in our prevention programming right now about understanding domestic violence. What does it look like? Um, And in what situations, how would you respond? What would you say in those situations? We've actually done some work here on campus with our One Love program. Um, Marissa from our prevention staff has come out and worked with some of the folks here to make sure that students have the opportunity to hear about what is domestic violence, what is dating violence, Mm -hmm. um, what does it look like, and what should I do if I see it? Um, Oftentimes what we see is that friends, family, um, they don't know what to say to that victim. They don't know how to respond. And, and unfortunately, sometimes the one thing that they do is you have to leave. They, mm-hmm. they, they transfer the power and control from the relationship into a different space where right. they say, this is what you gotta do, and I've got this, and I've got, I've got your plan, and I've made all the arrangements and everything else, and that necessarily isn't what's gonna help a victim. What's gonna help a victim is listening, Um, and making sure that they know that you are there for them when they're ready to make that change. To making sure that they know that there's options available, um, that there's resources available to them, whether that's natural resources like family and friends, or if it's something like Golden House, um, that there's safety considerations to think about, um, and to make sure that they just know that when they're ready, you're right there walking with them.
0: Very good. So my last question is for, actually, for both of you. Um, what is the, sort of the one thing you would want people to know about domestic violence? Like if we've, we've talked about plenty and maybe you've already said it, mm-hmm. but if there's one thing, one take-home message for the audience, what would it be?
2: I would say that it's a community-wide issue, um, and it definitely has lifelong impacts for and for children growing up witnessing it. It can definitely impact their worldview, make them more susceptible to being either a victim or a perpetrator. Um, so it's definitely something the community should be concerned with and be aware of. And it's preventative. Mm -hmm.
1: There's no reason this has to be happening in our community. It's, it's simply not necessary to our community to have relationships that break down and and have these kind of consequences so we can all work together to teach our kids about healthy relationships um, to change societal norms so that um, we're being respectful to each other in our relationships and we certainly could stop the aggression and the violence in people's homes
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you both so very much, not just for being here, but for the other work you are doing in the community. Do you have anything else you want to say to people before they go, anywhere they can learn more? Um,
1: They certainly can learn more, and there's so much information out Mm -hmm. there. If they connect with our website Mm -hmm. at goldenhousegb.org, then they can find other resources and links, as well as our email addresses if they're ever interested in wanting to talk more. Mm -hmm. But thank you for having us. Wonderful. Thanks for being here. Thank you.
0: Good. So um, I want to go ahead and thank our producer, Kate Farley. I also want to thank our podcast artist, Kim- Kimberly Glees. And I want to thank our intern who's right here, right now, Sophie Seeland. Thank you, Sophie. Uh, and Sophie set this whole interview up today, so which is great. Um, I would love to tell you what we're doing next time, but I honestly have no idea. So you will find out when it happens. <laughs> that is all for today.